Amen. Well, I just want to say something from my heart um, before we jump into the Word of God. I was watching the missionaries, and I've, I've been to several conferences with all of you missionaries, same missionaries, and I've heard your stories, and I've heard your, your introductions. And one thing that stood out to me as I was listening this time is how powerful it is to see the generation of families uh, in the field. And I, I think about my kids as they get older. I have one that's about to graduate high school this year. One will graduate high school the following year. And then I have a nine and a six-year-old. And there's nothing more that you want as a parent than to have your kids follow Christ. Is that not right? I mean, there's nothing more that we want. And then to take it to the next level, not only in your kids' life as missionaries are they following the Lord, but they're following the pattern that you've laid for them in ministry. And, you know, I, I don't know what the Lord's going to do in my children's lives and if they'll be in ministry and if that will happen, but I just would be overjoyed if the Lord would call them to be ministers and to serve God and his kingdom. So I just want to commend you for what you've done, those who have kids that have followed you in, in ministry. What a blessing that is. It touches my heart every time I hear it. Amen. So I was thinking of the last... Two messages you've heard from me. Uh, I've brought some strong things and some words that have been um, challenging. And, and I know that in a room like this and with different perspectives, there's things I would have probably said the last two sermons that, you know, we can believe differently and think differently about things. That's what makes the body of Christ broad and expansive. And, and so by no means have I felt like that I'm the authority on, on any of the subject matter that I've, that I've brought. Uh, but I thought, after two messages that were strong and some, somewhat confrontive in some ways, um, I think the Reformation is over. <laughs> and so, and so we're, we're, not, we're not here to, I'm not here to reform tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm here to uh, be the closing speaker at a, at a missions conference <laughs> and send us out ready to go back into the field. So what we're going to look at this evening uh, is a message from the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is one of the minor prophets, and uh, you know the difference between a major prophet and a minor prophet, right? It's just a small book versus a big book. Uh, it's, a, it's a Malachi, I believe, is a small book with a big message. And we're obviously not going to look at all the, the book of Malachi, but we're going to look at the first five verses of the book of Malachi. And I've titled the message this evening, I have loved you, says the Lord. I have loved you, says the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this opportunity to close out this wonderful conference. Lord, what a blessing it is to have the Bell family put on this conference year after year. What a blessing it is for me personally to be able to come and just to share in a time of fellowship and worship and great meals and laughter and, and great encouragement through your word. And God, I, I thank you that as we end this conference as we get ready to go back, to go home, to go to the places you've called us to. God, I pray that this moment, these next few moments, would just be the icing on the cake to what you've done in all of our hearts. And that I pray, God, that you would seal it in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, I ask that you would help me, Lord, to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So have you ever been in a relationship with someone and you know that something is not right. You know something's not right, but, but you just can't figure it out. The body language is there. 
Maybe as a pastor, you know, you can relate to this as a pastor. You know that one of your church members, something is not right. But, but you can't figure it out. You don't know what, what it is. And I think we can all relate to that, whether it's in ministry, in our personal life, in our family. The reason we can't figure it out is because we can't read minds. And we can't read hearts. And we can't read motives. And, and, I, and I can know for sure that there's been many times in my life that I have thought something is wrong or I've perceived something is wrong. And, and in reality, everything was fine because I, I misunderstood body language or, or communication or whatever it may be. But one thing I know is true. The one who can read hearts and understand the motives of every single person who knows everything perfectly is God. He knows all of us perfectly. He has perfect knowledge. And this is what we're going to see in the book of Malachi. This is what we're going to look at in the, in the first five verses. But the overarching message of the, of the book of Malachi is, is a rebuke to the people of God. It's a rebuke, and, and, and it's a unique way in which God uses the prophet Malachi to address his people. A little context about the book of Malachi. It was written approximately 100 years after the Jews had returned to, to Jerusalem from 70 years of exile in, in Babylon. It was written approximately 10 years after Nehemiah had finished rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. So it had been 445 B.C. And so right after this letter of confrontation from God to his people who knew the hearts of his people, there's 400 years of silence. What, do you, what, what happened after the 400 years of silence? Who was the first voice that began to speak? It was John the Baptist. He began to speak and he began to declare, behold, the Lamb of God. John's cry was, behold, the Lamb of God is here. And so Malachi speaks to God's people who had become complacent. They had become complacent. They had been, they had been out from Babylonian captivity. The temple had been rebuilt. The, the walls of protection around Jerusalem had been restored and they had begun to lose their way, which we know is the history of the nation of Israel, the history of God's people, all of God's people. And so what we're going to see is, is in this book, there, there's really 23 questions in total in this book. But there's, there's really eight main questions that the Lord asked his people through the prophet Malachi. And we're only going to look at one, one main question, one main question that, 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 that goes between God and his people. So let's read the first five verses. We'll see what the Lord will speak to us from his word. Malachi 1, if you have your Bibles, they won't be on, on the screen. So if you want to open up your, your Bible app or if you have your Bible, last book of the Old Testament, it says this, the oracle of the word of the Lord by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not, Jacob's, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says, we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own, your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So really profound things in these five verses. Some, 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 even some things that we, we, we struggle to think deeply about in these five verses. And we're going to see if we can unpack it. What we're going to see is three realities about our relationship to God and his towards us. 
three realities about our relationship to God and his towards us. Here's the first thing we see from this text that we're going to bring out is that God is patient and loving towards his people. God is patient and loving towards his, towards his people. We, we see this in these first five verses. We see this in this whole letter. He is patient and loving towards his people. Now, now notice the, the first verse of Malachi 1. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord by Malachi. The oracle of the word of the Lord by Malachi. What is an oracle? It's, it's a burden. It's a pronouncement. An oracle is a burden or a pronouncement to carry a burden. The the prophet was carrying a burden, an oracle from God, a pronouncement from God. It is a burden and a pronouncement. The Lord's burden had become the prophet's burden. So the picture here is what we see of God's spokesmen in the Old Testament. They were filled with the burden of the Lord and they were commanded to communicate it. This is how Malachi begins it. He begins it by saying, I have a burden. I have a burden from the Lord. This is the oracle of the word of the Lord. It is a burden on the prophet's heart. God had a burden. He gave it to Malachi, and Malachi was going to speak it to God's people. I love what the late Eugene Peterson says about the task of a prophet. He says this, the task of the prophet was not to smooth things over, but to make things right. Just a little side note. I know I talked about it earlier. We talked about this last two days, but we need preaching in pulpits today. There's more concern with disturbing people out of complacency versus preaching that lulls people into a religious stupor. We need a burden. Preachers, pastors, missionaries, do you have a burden from the Lord that burns your heart and it is like an oracle of God and you have a burden for the people that you are preaching to? John Stott says we must allow the word of God to confront us to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. So, the oracle of God, a burden of the Lord and the prophet Malachi, what was his burden? What does the Lord want his people to know? What is the prophet burden to tell God's people? Look back at verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. Now listen. If you read the book of Malachi, he's going to rebuke the priest because they've not been feeding God's people properly. He's going to rebuke the people because they've not been giving to God properly. And he's going to rebuke them because they've again abandoned the law of God. But before he rebukes, what does he say? This is the burden from the Lord. He says, I, the Lord says through the prophet, I have loved you, says the Lord. Wow. What a great introduction. It kind of reminds me of what we do with our kids before we, before we correct them, right? This is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I want you to know, before I got to lay down the law, before I have to correct your behavior, I want you to know I love you. I love you. I, I love you. His love, what, what, what does it mean, his love here? It means to care for, to show loyalty, loyalty to. You know, whoever you love, you, you care for them and you are loyal to. You show loyalty to. And this is what I believe the Lord is speaking to the prophet Malachi. He's wanting God's people to know. Listen, I, I, I know you've strayed, and I'm about to tell you your business. And I know you've wondered, but I want you to know that I love you. I have been loyal to you. I have been committed to you. I love you. And how had God shown that care and loyalty to Israel? We know the stories, don't we? The promise begins with Abraham. 
Genesis 12, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so the loyalty begins with the promise to Abraham. The commitment of the love of God for his people begins with Abraham. Abraham, Abraham, Abraham was not always faithful, was he? You remember Abraham? Abraham lied. Abraham lied and said, this is not my wife. She is my sister. It's a half-truth, right? Half-sister. But, but he lied. And, and under, under pressure to try to produce the promised son because they doubted God's promise. There was a, a relationship with Hagar. So, so, but God is faithful to keep his promises. He is loyal to his people because he loves his people. And this nation that came from the loins of Abraham was delivered by God from Egyptian slavery. And, and then they rebel again. And I think one of the pinnacles of the rebellion would it not be whenever Moses was on top of the mountain getting the law of God and the people get anxious and the people get worried and they have to figure out what's going on. And they're looking for a leader. So they, they, they tell Aaron, they say, Aaron, hey, listen, I, I don't know what's going on, but, but we, need to, we need to do something. We, we need to worship something. And so Aaron said, well, take off all of your gold. And, and they threw it into the fire. And don't you love Aaron's response when Moses came down? It was the people. And, and we put all the gold and out popped, a, out popped this calf. Supernatural, Moses. It was supernatural. I don't know how it happened. What, what does God say? Exodus 32, and the Lord said to Moses, I've seen these people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God was ready to start over again. Right? I'm going to start over. But how has God shown care and loyalty to these stiff-necked people? Look at Deuteronomy 7. This is so beautiful. Listen, God tells his people, it's not, it's not, it was not because you were in more in number than any of the other people the Lord has set his love on and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. This is what the Lord wants to tell his people. God is patient and loving towards his people. Think about patience and love between a parent and a child. This is what I think of with God and, and his people, God and me. I think about two, I think about depictions of patience between parents and children. How many of you have seen the cartoon Bluey? How many of you know the cartoon Bluey? You can raise your hand. You can, yeah, parents, grandparents, Bluey. It's on Disney Plus, you know, the Babylon, the Babylon station there. <laughs> yes, I, I, I do support whatever, it's $7.99 a month, in particular for Bluey. Um, but Bluey, Bluey, it's a cartoon, uh, Australian, and, and, and the dad's name is Bandit. Dad's name is Bandit. It's two little girls, Bluey and Bingo. And it's Bandit's birthday. This episode is Bandit's birthday. And, and Bandit, Bandit loves omelets. Loves omelets. And so the wife wants to make an omelet for her husband for breakfast in the morning. And, and Bingo, the youngest of the two girls, wants to help out. She's like three or four years old, something like that. And so the mom at first says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. Your dad's hungry. He gets really angry, hangry. And so, but, but, but she, then she relents and says, okay, that's fine. They go through one egg, and it doesn't make it in the bowl. Two eggs, three eggs, a dozen eggs. They run out of eggs. In, they run them out. They're all gone. Shells all over the place. She has to go. The scene switches. She has to go next door and borrow a dozen eggs from her neighbor. 
They come back. Eventually, the, the omelet gets made, and, 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 she, and she brings it to the dad, and Bandit scarfs it down, and he looks at Bingo and says, this was the best omelet I've ever eaten. And when I watched that episode, I thought, I thought, what a picture of the patience of God with us. We get shells all over everything, don't we? We crack the egg wrong, and we spill the yolks everywhere, and and the egg whites everywhere, and we make a mess of things. We are, even though we are God's people, even though we are redeemed, even though we are the the called out ones, the righteous ones, been justified by faith, we make mistakes, and and we shatter eggs, and and we do things we are not supposed to, to, to do, but God is still faithful to us. And even in this rebuke, that the Lord's about to give to his people, he wants to begin with this rebuke by letting them know, I have loved you. I have been faithful to you. Hosea chapter 13 says this, but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. Besides me, there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they became filled, and their heart was lifted up. And this is what happened to the people of God. In spite of God's faithfulness, in spite of God's loyalty to them, when they had grazed, they became full, and they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. Have you ever grazed before? You know what it means to graze? We're not talking about cattle here. We're talking about people. They grazed. You graze during Thanksgiving. You graze during Christmas. You graze. Became fat and sassy and full. Their heart was lifted up, and this is what we see in Malachi. They grazed, they ate, they were satisfied. We don't need God. We've got it. They forgot God. And this is like God knocking on the door. Don't forget, I've loved you. I've been loyal to you. You know, forgetting God doesn't mean you literally forget him. None of you can forget God after what he's done in your life. Would you ever forget God? No, 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 we don't forget God. It means to forget God means you replace God and give greater allegiance to lesser things. That's what it means to forget God. We'll never forget where we were. We'll never forget what he did. We'll never forget how he redeemed and restored because he's loyal to us. He loves us and And this replacement, this replacement, and this is what God's people had done. They had forgotten his love and replaced it with other things. They had had taken the the remembrance of his loyalty and they would replace it with other things, with lesser things. And this is where they had found themselves. And this is what leads us to the next thing we see in the text. God's, God's people often doubt his love and question his plan. So God loves his people. But God's people often doubt his love and question his plan. Look back to the text. Malachi 1, verse 2 through 4. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say. Do you remember when I talked about how only God can read minds and hearts? The questions that are asked in this book come from the knowledge of God. Did you, did you catch that? I have loved you, says the Lord, but the Lord says you say. What's God saying here to the prophet? I know your heart. I know your heart. And you're going to hear the prophet say, I love you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? How have you loved us? You know, I think in essence what is being said here is that the prophet is saying to God's people, God has loved you, and they say, I doubt it. I don't, I don't think so. I doubt it. 
I can sense something behind that question. I, I think so, but I, I, don't, I, I doubt it. We were in exile for 70 years. We've been the nation that other nations mock and rule over. You have continually forgotten us. You have left us time and again vulnerable to your enemies. I think that's behind the question. I think that's, the Lord knows what's in their heart. I've loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how? How have you loved us? What's the Lord's answer to that rhetorical question? What's his answer? Look back to the text. Is not Jacob's, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Thanks, God, that clears it up. <laughs> it really makes me feel better. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yes, I know. I, we, we, we know God. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers. We get it. Declares the Lord, yet yeah, I've loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated. I've laid waste his hill country, left to heritage, heritage to jackals of the desert. Right? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? Jacob I've loved, but Esau I've hated. I've blessed Jacob, but Esau I've cursed. Listen, listen, listen to what he's saying. Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob. What is God telling his people? He's telling them, you're Jacob. He says, I've loved you. They're saying in their heart, how have you loved us? And he says, have I loved you? You're Jacob. I've hated Esau. I've chosen Jacob. That's what he says. I've hated Esau and I've chosen Jacob. His answer to their discontentment, to their sense of God, you've, you've left us, you've abandoned us. His answer is, don't forget you are Jacob. Don't forget you're my people. What does this mean, God hated Esau? That's hard. Jacob, I've loved, but Esau, I've hated. I've blessed Jacob. I think when you come to questions like that, when you come to difficult sections in Scripture, it, one, one way to answer a difficult question in Scripture is to answer the question, what does it not mean? So like when you can figure out what it doesn't mean, you can whittle it down to start figuring out what it doesn't mean. So what does it not mean? God does not have sinful hate. Matthew 5 says this, You've heard that it was said uh, to those of old, You should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Anger and hate go together, and God is not sinfully angry or jealous and hateful towards people. 1 John 3.15 says this, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So this is not who God is. This is not the hate. This is not what it means that God hates. We know that. What does the idea of God hating Esau mean? I think one section of Scripture really helps us in particular. Luke 12. Follow this. A great crowds accompanying him and turned to him, speaking of Jesus, and said to him, If anyone comes to me, and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So there may be many times when in our relationships with family that it may appear that we are hating them. Why? Because we are placing our allegiance to God first. Replacing our allegiance to God first. You've heard people tell you that. Why do you hate me? Why do you hate me so much? Why do you, why do you hate me? You, you don't condone my lifestyle. You don't agree with my decisions by not following God. And they can say, you, you hate me. But no, you don't hate them. You love God more than them. Your allegiance is to God first. So 
God is saying he hated Esau, it gives us the picture of priority. And here's the bottom line truth. God chose Jacob. He prioritized Jacob over Esau. It's true. Someone approached an old theologian and said, I have a problem with Malachi 1.3, where God says he hates Esau. The theologian answered, I have a problem with Malachi 1.2, where God says he loves Jacob. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jacob was a swindler. He was, he was a liar. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans, but Jacob went to his father Isaac and put his blind father Isaac and put skin on his arm and, and deer, deer spray and, and deceived and deceived his father. It's a, is it any wonder that God loved Jacob? Warren Wiersbe says this. This is so good. We certainly can't explain the love and grace of God, nor do we have to. But we can experience God's grace and love and trust Christ and walk with him because the Lord is even willing to be the God of Jacob. Both Esau and Jacob are not deserving of grace. Esau despised his birthright and sold it. Jacob was a liar and stole the blessing from Esau. And it's also interesting to note that this statement of God in Malachi about Jacob and Esau is said not at the beginning of their lives in Genesis, but after the two men had become nations 1,500 years later. Listen to God's judgment on the descendants of Esau in Obadiah 1. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your head. The house of Jacob shall be, shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. And they shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The point is this. Israel should grasp God's love by simply comparing their blessing to Esau's or Edom's punishments. This is what God is saying. I've loved you. You say, how have you loved us? Look at what has happened to us. And the Lord through the prophet is saying, don't forget you're Jacob. I chose you. You're Jacob. The question that Israel is asking God is not one of genuine curiosity. It is an accusatory question. It's a sense of sarcasm. How? How have you loved us? You know, I think it's true. Is this is what God's people did then, and this is what they still do today. In suffering, we doubt God's love, and we question his plan. If God loves me, he wouldn't let me walk through fill in the blank. I don't know what you're walking through. If God loves me, he wouldn't let me that diagnosis, that lost loved one, that friend, who, that, that, that son, that daughter, that string, you wouldn't let me. If you loved me, you wouldn't let this. Sometimes, God, your love for me looks like hate. We often don't understand God's plan, and I think the reason we often don't understand it is because we are living in the, in the, the micro level in our relationship with God. The micro level is here, right in front of us, and, and we are looking to, at the only, only perspective is the situations that are, that are controlling us and, and are, are taking all of our thoughts. And what we need to do is we need to have God to help us to get the 10,000-foot perspective. As I talked about uh, uh, a couple of days ago, the 30,000-foot perspective, we need to be able to see God, what God is doing from his point of view. 
And this is the initial reaction to a situation not going the way we planned. And we can, bang, we can blame God. You know, I, I, I can be a pessimist. I, I, I'll admit to that. I can feel like it's all over. It's all over. It's done. You know, I can relate to Eeyore. Speaking of, speaking of cartoons, we're going to stick with cartoons here. I, I, I love Eeyore. I relate to Eeyore. I have compassion for Eeyore. He's my guy. You remember the scene with Eeyore? I mean, it was over and over again in Winnie the Pooh celebrating his birthday. And after his birthday celebration, Eeyore says, after all, what are birthdays? Here today, gone tomorrow. <laughs> right? Or, or he's trying to find his tail. I can't find his tail. That's the story of Eeyore. I can't find his tail. They find his tail. Pin it back on Eeyore. He says, most likely lose it again anyway. <laughs> all right? God's people often doubt his love and question his plan. We, we question his goodness and his justice. I, listen, you, you can question God's justice here. Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I've hated. God, this is unfair. Is there injustice with you? Well, the Apostle Paul quotes Malachi, did he not? In Romans chapter 9. Jacob, I've loved. Esau, I've hated. Listen to Romans 9. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what does molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? So here's, here's the issue. Whenever, whenever we are doubting God's love, we're doubting his faithfulness and his loyalty to us, and, and we may be saying the same thing in our heart when we hear somebody say God loves us. You're like, yeah, yeah, how, how, how? It's not looking really good right now. And he's reminding us, hey, I've loved you. I've been loyal to you. We, just, we think there's injustice with God. We, we, we struggle with Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated. You know what? The, I think the issue is, is we've forgotten who God is and who we are. Their heart had grown cynical. And we need to remember our relation to God, that he's God and we are not, that he's the one who knows the end from the beginning. He's the one that is in control. He's the one that is unfolding his plan for his glory. God is revealing what is in their hearts, and the reason he's doing it is to call them back. Do you, did you see it with me to the prophet? He's, he's knocking on their hearts. Hey, I've loved you. He's poking the bear. He already knows what's in their heart. He knows that when they're going to hear from the prophet, I've loved you, he knows they're going to feel cynicism and doubt, but he sends his prophet with that oracle and that burden to tell his people, to call them back. He's wooing them. Let's look at the conclusion here of the introductory comments from the prophet. Look, look back to Malachi 1, verse 5. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. So the next thing we see, we see God's love. We see that we often question God's love. But we see here that God's good plan. Here's the third thing. We see here God's good plan extends beyond borders and nations. This is what it's about. This is the point of what God is trying to speak to his people, that his good plan extends beyond borders and nations. He had called these people to be a witness nation. 
And they had forgotten their place. They had forgotten their position between God and themselves. And they had abandoned their God who had been so loyal to them. And God was prodding them through the prophet and reminding them, hey, don't forget, I've been faithful. I've been loyal to you. And and in their heart, when they heard from the prophet, God knew that they would say, how? We've been in captivity. You've abandoned us. But he's trying to move them along to remind them that his good plan extends beyond borders and nations and that they are the center of that plan. Your own eyes shall see this. Shall see what? Shall see that I love you. Shall see that I judge my enemies. Shall see that my plans are good. I love what Matthew Henry says about this section. He says, says, those who doubt of God's love to his people shall sooner or later have convincing and undeniable proofs given them. Your own eyes will see what you will not believe. Your own eyes will see that God, in his love, keeps his promises. Do you believe that? Your own eyes shall see. Notice what happens after they see. Your own eyes shall see. And then it says, and you will say. You'll see and you'll say. We'll say what? Great is the Lord. I've loved you. I doubt it. Let me remind you, you're Jacob, and you're going to see. I'm going to judge your enemies, and you're going to see, and you're going to know, and you will see, and you will say, you will say, great is the Lord. This is stunning. Can you connect the dots? Fast forward 400 years, approximately 430 plus years. As Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt, what happened? God's people would see. What a timing. I'm getting to the end of my message. This is just over 430 years later, as Jesus entered Jerusalem on a colt, what did they see? They saw the fulfillment of the promise on a colt. And what did they say? They said, great is the Lord. They put palm branches down. They said, Hosanna in the highest. God's people, the descendants of the people that had abandoned God, 430 years later, they saw the fulfillment of the promise that came through their lineage. They saw and they said, great is the Lord. What an amazing picture. The Lord is saying at the beginning of this prophecy, I know your heart. I know your heart is far from me right now. I know you doubt my love. I know you doubt my plan is good. But remember, you come from Jacob, who came from Isaac, who came from Abraham. You're not under my judgment as Edom is. You are my covenant people. Never doubt my love for you again. And you will see the fulfillment and the culmination of that love in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You will see it and you will say and you will praise. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Did you, did you hear that? You'll see, you'll say, great is the Lord. And what will you say? He's great beyond the border of Israel. Now, now, now listen, I, I, I know 100% that these people that are getting this prophecy 430 years before the birth of Christ had no idea what that meant. How do I know they had no idea what that meant? Because the disciples that walked with Jesus didn't either. Look at the fulfillment of what what the Lord said to his people through Malachi, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
Sounds good. These descendants of Abraham, they're good with that. We like Jerusalem. In all Judea, we can go there. We can, we, can, we can go north. We're good. And Samaria, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm not sure about those people. Samaritans, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. They would have no idea of what they were called to be. They were called to be a witness nation. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy that God is giving to his people here at the beginning of the book of Malachi. He says, I've loved you, and you've doubted my love, and I've been faithful to you all along the way. And you question, why have you done this? Why have you allowed this? And he's carried them along, generation after generation. The fulfillment of the promise comes in the person and work of Christ and they declared his glory and his praise. And even in spite of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin's desire to, to get rid of Jesus, even in spite of all of that, after the resurrection, God calls these same people from the lineage of Abraham, from the, the covenant made with Abraham to be his witness nation. So my question is, as we end this evening is, is what about your life as God's people? In your life? You might be doubting God's love and questioning his plans. In your life, you might have allowed the difficult circumstances you're walking through to harden your heart a little towards God. Even a pastor, even a missionary, even a Christian that's been a Christian a while. But just as the Lord was calling his covenant people Israel back to himself, the Lord is calling us. He's calling us. Remember, you're in Christ. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but we're in Christ. We have, we're under a new covenant, better promises. We're in Christ. May, may you never doubt God's love because of all he's done for you in Christ. And in your life, and in your life, you will say, great is the Lord beyond the border of Fredericksburg beyond the border of San Antonio and Kenya and Mexico and what, what, throw out some countries. Where are you? India. India. Japan. Japan. Where else? China. China. Haiti. Romania. Romania. You will say great is the Lord beyond the border of where God has even called you to. God has made us. God has made us a witness nation. We don't replace Israel. God has called us to go along into the, the line of his, of his covenant message, the new covenant message of salvation through Christ. This is the point. God wants to use his people to say, great is the Lord everywhere they go. And Israel needed to be reminded of the greatness and goodness of their God, and so do we. We need to be reminded so we, we want to end. I want to end where we started. I don't, I don't know your heart today. I don't understand all the things that you carried into this conference and the things you're going to carry out. We all carry burdens in and out. Ministry is hard. It's hard work. It is very difficult to carry burdens that no one else can understand, exactly like we all understand each other. That's why we love to come back to these things, right? Because we can laugh together and cry together and encourage each other. It's hard work we're going back to. So I don't know what you're carrying in and what you're carrying out. 
And some of you here tonight may even be carrying some questions like God's people did during Malachi's day. You love me, God? I'm not sure. I'm doubting it right now. Some hard questions about hard situations. And I believe I was sitting in Pastor Mike's office before I came up here. And this is the last sentence I wrote. I believe it's from the Lord to you tonight. The Lord is saying to you tonight, you may have some questions, but never question my love for you. You are Jacob. You are my people of covenant. Amen? You are my people of covenant. And you are going back to the field that he's called you to, to declare great is the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to your people. God, I thank you that when we are faithless, you remain faithful. When we are faithless, you remain faithful. Lord, you will discipline us as your children. And you will poke and prod to uncover the idols of our hearts from time to time. But Lord, it, it's all for the purpose of us being reminded of who you are, your love for us, and what you've called us to that you have called us to declare your greatness and your goodness to the nations. You've called us to, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. You've called us to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked. You've called us to bridge the gap between a lost and a dying world and the mercy of our Savior. And God, I pray for each and every minister and Christian here this evening, wherever we are, whatever place we come from, I pray for each one of them and the burdens they carried in and the, even maybe the questions about why things are difficult as they are right now in their life and ministry. I pray for each one of them that they would find comfort in the reality that you know more than them, that you are, you are in charge, that you have a divine purpose, that you are pulling them along and you are faithful to them all, all along this journey of their life and their ministry. I pray that you would revive hearts that are struggling and that when they go back to their field that they can be able to stand with boldness in spite of the questions or the struggles they can stand with boldness and declare great is the Lord great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel God I pray a blessing on every person on every ministry on every life we thank you for all you said and done in our life we pray this in Jesus name amen